Okay, if you've got a Bible, please turn to the, the book of Ruth. I need my glasses. Uh, there are two to go. This one, and then uh, the final one. And then what I'm going to do is that I'm going to do a Sunday evening. And the Sunday evening will be for those that are either in marriage or thinking about marriage, or would like to get married, or whatever. Anything to do with uh, marriage relationships. And what I'm going to do is do a, just a seminar on looking at the, the, the sort of relationship issues and the way that they are solved, particularly in, in, in the life of, of Boaz and Ruth. So if you're single and you want to look at it, then you're more than welcome to come. If you're just married, thinking about married, been married for I don't know how many years, just dead nosy, you can come <laughs> to any of those sort of things. But I'm going to do that on a sort of Sunday, on Sunday evening, just because uh, we might have to mention some interesting subject matters. Okay? So we'll do that away from it. Um, so here we go. Ruth chapter 4 and... Uh, Verse 13 to 17. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. And your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And when the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi, they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse and the father of David. And if you look on, you'll get the genealogy. And next time, I want to speak on the subject of predestination. There you go. Can't spell it, but we'll speak on it. So that's where we'll go. Okay. The narrator seems to move things on extremely quickly. If you're looking um, in your Bibles, it's very short, isn't it? Because we get all the previous events, and then we get, and Boaz took Ruth uh, home as his wife. And it is true to say that the problem with this is good old English language again, uh, that what we do in life in English language is we shorten it uh, to make it so before in the next 10 years, I, I expect that the way that preachers will preach will be like text speak. So it's the way that we are. We've shortened it. The Hebrew actually is this in regard to that, those verses. The Hebrew is that Boaz led Ruth from her home or from the home of Naomi to his home, or to the home of Boaz. That's the, the Hebrew description of what you have in your Bibles. And the idea of that 
is that everything that had been done in the home of Naomi would now be done in the home of Boaz. So what had, uh, she, what had Ruth done? Well, Ruth had eaten, slept, cried, laughed, lived, um, all sorts of different things in that one home. And now what would happen is that all those things would be transferred, as it were, to the home of Boaz. For Ruth, it wasn't just that the, the marriage day would be new. Everything in her life at this point would be new. Everything would be. Everything was going to be exciting. She didn't know, not just the, the thing about the honeymoon night, but she didn't know what was going to happen the next day because everything was new. Which I believe is lost almost in today's society. Because for the, the normal couple now, uh, let's not talk about Christian things, the, but the normal couple now, nothing is new. Everything is done sort of beforehand, isn't it? We do it sort of all beforehand. We sort of trial it, as it were, and then we work out whether we can do whether whether it works or not. Everything is done before or or not, whether we get married or whether we choose not to. And maybe even in this statement here that we've got here, there is something to be learned in Christians. And in Christian marriage, and in what we should be saying to our young people and preparing them for marriage. Because everything seems to be, uh, n- everything seems to be, um, if you like, done apart from in the Christians, the issue of sex. Because that's what sort of the life has gone. And it's almost as if the world has invaded what the Bible decided the, the way that it would be. And we have listened to it and then taken it on board. So most couples now, you say, well, okay, they haven't slept together. But there is nothing new that they have done. They've done everything that they can possibly do up to that point, And then they just sleep with one another. And that's new. That is not what is going on here. Some of you, of you who are old, will remember this, if I put it in this terms, you will remember this as leaving and cleaving. Do you remember that, guys? Some of you older ones? And we don't leave and cleave anymore. We just do sex. That's what we do. And I believe that if we're going to be a truly biblical church, to be a biblical people, then we need to restore some of these biblical truths. We need to restore leaving and cleaving. We want to make sure that not just the day is new, but life is new for them. Life is new. So, well, for Ruth, everything was new. Everything. Can you imagine that? Just imagine that everything for this young couple was new. It was going to be a new day, including sex. So in the uh, ESV, we've got this thing, and he went into her. It's rather an unfortunate phrase, isn't it, really, that you would find in the Bible. And again, I have to say this. The problem with this verse here is, again, it is... It has been shortened into text speak by English. It would be interesting to see um, different languages, how they pursue this in the Bible. But you're probably now thinking, is Nigel going to speak on sex for 40 minutes? That's you lot. 
And you lot are going to, you lot over here saying, go on, speak on it for 40 minutes. So you can see, you can see from my perspective here, yeah, my daughter's saying, please don't, Dad. <laughs> but let me just say here in regard to the, the Hebrew again, the Hebrew picture of he went into her is a much bigger picture. And the bigger picture is, it's, I want you to just, just catch this in your mind. The, it's the idea of Boaz um, sort of entering into the bedchamber of Ruth and making love to her. So what we're looking at here is actually the opposite to sex. It's the opposite to pornography. It's the opposite to the sex industry. It is one of um, preparation. It's one of time. It's one of thought, it's one of atmosphere, it's one of love to be given, and all which at this point would be created by Boaz. Okay guys, are you listening to me? All of which was to be created by Boaz. I'm just saying that just in case the men have fallen asleep. Girls, you can just give your husband a big nudge. Callie, not yet, because you're, you're, that's a bit embarrassing for me and you've got to get out of your chair. But you see, that was the thing here. But was it all just that? Well, was it something that he created for her? No. Because again, the Hebrew, it infers that Ruth was prepared. She was ready. She was waiting. She was expectant. She was inviting so it was that sort of thing. So when we see those words, we've lost it in the... But you can see what the idea should have been. And it's just a reminder, isn't it, for us as Christians, that in our marriage that God has given to us, there is a godly high standard. A high standard. And the high standard actually is to reflect the high God that we have. So let's give that some thought. Give the preparation some thought. And it says here that the Lord uh, gave her conception and she bore her son. I think that is wonderful because uh, it, leaves us in no it leaves us in no doubt who the giver of life is. The Lord. The Lord is the giver of life. Jeremiah 1 verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb. Before I formed you. I knew you. Psalm 139. Just some sort of sound bites from it. You formed me. You knit me. You made me in secret. Your eyes, I think this is a wonderful statement. You think about this. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. Wonderful, isn't it? Wonderful. Extraordinary statement. There's a book called Biblical Illusions by a man called Smythe. I know that you've all got it. It's all on there. It's an old book, actually. He says this about this verse here. In Ruth, he said this by the ordinance and gift of God, a new life is conceived, a fresh creation, a life quite 
irreplaceable with a specific, identifiable, personal destiny. Me and you. Me and you. Now, if you place those comments into today's abortion debate, which often seems to um, just concentrate on my rights and, and my body and my decision, what we find by just this is that we find, well, several things. Firstly, that we're in the presence of God when we are lovemaking. It's not a secret act. It's an act with God. We're in the presence of God, but also it is a work of God. That conception uh, is a work of God. So for our two ladies that are amongst us, uh, their husbands may be congratulating themselves, two girls that are amongst us that are expecting babies, and their husbands are thinking, how you know, wonderful am I that, you know, that my wife is pregnant? Tough, you didn't do it on your own. Actually, your wife is just a, a, an extraordinary work of God. He happened to just use you uh, in the process. But uh, it is a work of God. It was in the presence of God. And in the case of Ruth's son, uh, Ruth's son he would be the many greats grandfather of Jesus. So what does that mean? It means that this person being born has a destiny. And their children have a destiny. Their children's children have a destiny. In fact, if you look at the list which we'll go to, it just goes on and on and on. What does that mean? It means that we're not just aborting some sort of fetus that has just come into our lives, but we're closing the door on generations of people's destiny in God. Not just one, but generation after generation after generation of generation of destiny for those people in God. Now, when you put that into context, don't you now think that the fact that you're alive is remarkable? And now you know when it says that God wrote your name in the Lamb's book of life and prepared plans and purposes before. Now, look how miraculous you are and I am to actually be living this morning. Look at the, just look back and think of what could have been or what might have been in regard to your own personal lives. But by the sovereignty of God, you're here. You're here. Psalm 139 says this. It says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Just makes you want to stop and worship. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. The women praise the Lord that Naomi, strangely they say, has had a son, a redeemer. And if you look at this journey that we've been on with Naomi, 
It's an incredible journey because if you look at chapter 1, chapter 1 is dominated by famine and death and uh, a return in humble circumstances, going to be slaves, as it were, or taking the form of a slave. Chapter 2 is a chance meeting uh, in a field by Ruth and by Boaz. Chapter 3 seems to be a scheme made up by Naomi to see whether the guy Boaz actually is in love with Ruth. Chapter 4, Boaz knows to win Ruth. He's got to face a court case at, uh, at, the, um, at, the, at the city gates. And again, we miss it because it just says, blessed be the Lord or praise uh, the Lord. But what actually is found in this is that the women are actually looking back on the life of Naomi and just looking at her. Miraculous. They're just casting their eyes at this woman and saying, praise the Lord. Because all the events of her life, they have walked through with her. It's sort of just, they're looking at you going, and Dan, praise the Lord. They're just, it's sort of, it is remarkable. It's that sort of sense. And it isn't just sort of like a charismatic praise the Lord anyway. You know, we're just a lively bunch. It isn't anything like that at all. It's sort of, it's sort of they're looking at this woman and saying, oh, now we see, now we see the, the, the journey that the Lord has brought you on and we're looking at it and think, thinking, praise the Lord. You know, you could turn, couldn't you? Just turn to the person next to you and sort of, you know, tell me a bit of the lie. And actually, the conclusion would have to be the same. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And we have to remember, like those ladies that would have been with Naomi at the start, they just didn't see. And then suddenly they see. You know, and if you are in sort of, perhaps you're in famine, death, humble change of, you know, chance meetings in a field, schemings, city gates, all that sort of, perhaps you're in there. You have to remember that sometimes we just don't see because the, the Lord reveals his plans in part to us. And that's the way that he is with us. So we just don't see. But you will see. And there'll come a day when you'll look back and you go, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And they make this sort of pronouncement over him and say, may his name uh, be famous in Israel, which is a prophetic statement because Boaz was a famous guy in Bethlehem. But the son of, the son of um, Ruth and, and Boaz, sorry, yes, that's right. Boaz was famous in Bethlehem, but the son of Boaz would be famous in Israel. And you think, well, how can that be? And yet we know, because we're looking back, don't we, that this, this is the person that would birth Jesus Christ. That from this very man would come Jesus, the King of the Jews. And if you remember, this, you, can, you can go back into the New Testament, and in the New Testament you find the angel visits Mary and tells Mary of the, the son that she would be, give birth to. And she describes the son and, says, and he says, of the kingdom there will be no end. 
So suddenly this prophetic statement comes into birth in, in Mary's bedroom, as it were, as the angel visits her and suddenly, bang, here it is right now. And it's important, isn't it, I think, to stir prophetic gifts. There wasn't any prophecies this morning. Come on, guys, why not? Why not Nigel? Why, why, why wouldn't we stir the prophetic word? amongst us we need the prophetic word amongst us because it sort of sort of it brings some sort of life to to when we gather it brings something of of the sense of the future presence of God for us as a people what God wants to do and uh, I'm in the process, some of the leaders know this, of, of sort of just working something so where we can have a, a day together so that we can stir the prophetic in us. Going to do something perhaps on a Saturday, uh, get one of the guys out in the region to come and sort of just stir us very practically. And then on a Sunday, even just use that as a prophetic springboard for us so we can do it. So it's coming. So we want to stir it. But here we see that it's important not just to pro- the prophetic, but the, prof- the prophecy is over the child. It's over the child. And I just believe it is important to prophesy over our children. They've been given to us by God. They're given to us for a short while. They grow up into big, hairy, spotty things if you're a bloke. Or whatever, but they do. Um, and if you think about Jesus, Jesus was presented by his mom and dad in the, into the temple, came across a guy called Simeon. And Simeon, uh, it, says in the, it says in the New Testament that the Holy Spirit was upon him, said that the Holy Spirit uh, revealed things to him about Jesus. And this is just a short thing. He talks about, he says, to, he got this little one and he talks about salvation to him. Prophesies salvation. You will bring salvation. Prophesies to him that you will be a light to the Gentiles. And I think it is very important when we've got births amongst us to release the prophetic into the situation. So, girls, I don't know whether, I don't know, is one or two still here? I just want. But, you know, what we should do is that we should be praying now for our girls that are expecting their, their, their babies amongst us. We should be asking the Lord, have I got a word for them? So that, you know, when the birth is there and perhaps there might be a, a dedication or whatever, we should be um, prophesying into them. It brings hope to the parents. It brings something of the, of the Lord's desire for them in their future, something to the hold on to, something for the family to pray. But it brings the presence of God into them. And even in our Sunday school, our kids have gone out this morning. You know, maybe even now we should be saying, we should be saying, you know, well, you know, the kids have gone out, but I have a prophecy. You know, and going out there and prophesying and praying with our children and putting what the, the, what the Lord's heart is for them. And it's okay to do that. You just, you just sort of say, look, I've got a word for the kids. You go and speak to the Sunday school teachers. You'll have to do that through them. Just say, I've got something that I want to share with them about the, what God has got for them. Go and do it. But let's do it. Let's release the prophetic to our children. Then the women list some benefits to Naomi 
in saying in which way she would enjoy the son of Boaz. There's some fantastic things in here. Look at this. You will be a restorer of life. Literally, uh, this son will revive your spirits or will cause life to return. And it can actually mean will keep you alive. What a wonderful thing. Keep you alive. Number two, uh, a nourisher of old age. Literally, I love this. This is the Hebrew of this one. Fantastic. Literally this, he will feed your grey hairs. Yeah. Yeah. That's if you've got any, Steve. That's, uh, you're going to have to grow a few grey hairs. With, so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So all the Grecian 2000 guys... This blessing doesn't come to you if you're hiding it. Okay, we won't say anything about women. We might get into trouble. (laughs) Thirdly, yeah, thirdly, don't go there, Nigel. Move on. (laughs) Don't sin. Okay, your your daughter-in-law is literally this, a family tie. uh, Not obligated, but, but connected, joined together. That sort of feel of it, it isn't just, oh, your daughter-in-law. It's sort of, you are connected, that sort of thing. Who loves you? Uh, deep affection, not, not an idle accolade, but sort of practical, sacrificial, serving love that would come to uh, Naomi. And fifthly, uh, who is more than your seven sons? The first son was always seen as a reward because the first son was an heir. But in, but in Israel's sort of thought, seven being the perfect number, it's sort of almost, this is just too much blessing that you can cope. That must be, uh, wouldn't that be lovely? You know, in your old age, too much blessing that you can cope with. You know, I'm ever so tired. Why are you tired? Oh, because it was just too much blessing. Fantastic. What a way to go. Eh? You, you're, you're nearly there, aren't you? Oh, too much blessing. Open the door, Lord. What? But, but let's just put this into context. I want to, if I can, specifically talk to the young people. You can define yourselves as young if you wish. I want to talk to the young people. Because I want to talk to you about honour... And respect for the older folk. Because this would be Boaz's son's responsibility. This was what he would bring to Naomi, who effectively, as he grew up, would be an old woman. And I want to ask you some questions, some of you young guys. How do you see the oldies? How do you see the oldies? Well, you might think that in these days they're irrelevant. Don't understand music, Twitter or Facebook. They certainly are not trendy because you're looking at me and laughing. They're definitely not cool. They are frail. They do struggle with sicknesses more than you. You might think they are out of touch and you might think it is difficult to know whether I have anything in common with them. 
But I just want to tell you something about the, young, the older people that are sitting next to you. I want to tell you something about this old person. I want to say to you that sitting next to you are some people that have done some incredible exploits for God that you have yet to do. They've done them. I want to tell you that the person sitting next to you has proved God over many years. Prove God. In both good and bad times. I want to tell you that the old person sitting next to you has stepped out in faith more times than you've had actually hot dinners. I want to say to you that the old person has seen and heard some amazing stuff that God has done that still you have yet to see. I can remember when the Toronto thing came and went and I trotted off to Toronto and I had then got my Auntie Sissy in her 80s and every Saturday morning I used to ring Auntie Sissy so when I came back I explained to her about the Toronto meeting that I'd been to. And she said, tell me about the meeting that you went to. And I did all the stuff. They were lying here and shouting here and running here and doing all that sort of stuff. Did all that. And Auntie Sissy went, Pfft. on the phone. She went, and, and I, I said, what's the matter, Auntie? She said, we did that years ago. <laughs> she said, except we didn't do it in a nice meeting hall. We did it outside when Gypsy, preached, Gypsy Smith preached on the wakes ground. We did it in the dirt and dust. You know, they may appear to you a little overweight. You may speak to them and they don't reply because they're deaf. You may walk down the corridor and you're at the other end and they haven't started. You may notice that when you invite them round for a meal, that they dribble a little bit more than they used to do. They may have some teeth that they take out and put the side of the bed, which helps with romance. And you may think that they are drifting to heaven, but whose responsibility are they? Young people, they are your responsibility. And I want to challenge you, young people, do not let these old people drift into heaven. God has charged you, commissioned you to go to them. You can be a son or a daughter of Boaz. You can bring life to them. You can make those grey hairs live. You can help them be a part of the family. You can help them be loved, honoured and respected. Don't just visit your own. Visit them. Go and see them. Talk to them. Ask them whether you can pray with them. Ask them about their lives and what God has done for them. You will find you will be invigorated by the stories that they tell you of what God has done. Invigorated. Ask them questions. My, my thing to you would be this. Bleed them dry of the experience that they have. That's the difference between you and them. 
You've got energy. They have got experience. Bleed them of their experience. They need you, but you need them. And that is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is old and young working together. If you look at the world, it is the opposite. But this is the church. The church. So Naomi has lost a son. Who had lost a son, he's given a son. And what was lost was replaced, found, full. And when you look at those sort of, um, those sort of verses, doesn't it remind you of Joel 2, uh, 25? I will restore the years the locusts have eaten. That's what happened to Naomi. The years the locusts had eaten had been restored. And if you just think about locusts, we haven't got time to dwell on locusts. I know that you'd like to. So that's the, this. we'll do a seminar on sex, no sex, and locusts. We'll do that. We won't do it. But if you look at locusts, sometimes you will notice this, that locusts are never solitary. They're always many. And some people can feel that the years that they've lost are many. They can feel that it's many years. And that's the way that they, it catches them. Many years, I've just felt as if it's just been all eroding. And when you look at locusts, you know that they're distractive beings. And you can just feel a real sense of, you know, everything that I had hoped for, everything that I'd longed for, everything that I'd written in those early days of youth has just been destroyed, really. My hope is gone. You feel that they've left you with nothing. Reality sometimes is just that life seems to have gone. Where did life go? And yet this is a, this is a wonderful promise. A God who blesses enough to replace what you have lost. Isn't that lovely? Well, how did you lose it? Well, I lost it in sin. I lost it in circumstances. It wasn't my fault. I wasted it. It was, and in the process of it, I was hurt. It was painful. Or you might have been just indifferent. Just life. But look, does God say it will be okay from now on? No. He makes up what you have lost. That's the locust thing. He makes up what you have lost. He does it because he can. He does it because he's able. He does it because he wants to. He wants to turn your loss into your gain. I will compensate you for the years that you lost with me. That's a great insurance policy, isn't it? <coughs> what a wonderful insurance policy. You, you may be in it. You may be looking back with regret. You may be thinking, I'll never get out of it. 
But we need to just remember one thing here. That we're not just that God's not just about restoring his church. He is about restoring his people which he puts into a restored church. So here's the promise. I will I will restore the years the locusts have eaten. And finally why, did you, why do you think they let the women name the child? Surely this was a risk. Well, it, when you've got a name like Nigel, it was a risk. The reason, you've probably heard me say this before, but the reason I was named Nigel is that, that my mum lost two children, uh, two girls between my brother and I, and, and for some mad moment, in a, in a strange thing, that my mother and father decided that my brother could name me. There is not a root of bitterness yet. <laughs> yes? <laughs> My brother has a kidney stone at the moment and is in immense pain. And there's one side of me thinking, thank you, Lord. Because, no, it's on the internet. I've read real time. No, yes. <laughs> no, he's in, he actually is in real trouble, my brother. Uh, but there you go. Um, but there are some in Old Testament uh, sort of precedences for this. Um, Rachel's midwife named a son, Ben Oni. <laughs> That's good. Yes. Perez, who was mentioned in the book of Ruth, was, uh, was the son of Tamar and was also named by a midwife. So, guys, don't ask the midwife, okay? Ben Oni. Not good, okay? Don't do that, all right? Keep away from the midwife. But actually, the reasons are unclear. It's possible that when the women first met Naomi in Bethlehem, do you remember this? She'd asked, um, asked, she said, Naomi had said to them, don't call me Naomi, but call me Mara. Do you remember that? Where it says, the Lord has dealt with me bitterly. And, And it's almost as if they had shared her bitterness. They had walked with her in her bitterness. And now they would bring closure to this period uh, by prophetically naming the child. And that's the best that we can come up with, I'm afraid, apart from just keep away from your, from your friends and your whatevers. Okay. But they, they actually named him Obed, which is the one who serves and who would serve Naomi. What a great name to have. I'm just going to give birth to one who serves. Fantastic. And Obed would be the father of Jesse and the father of David. So Obed turns out to be King David's grandfather, who would have predicted that from this old widower would come King David. And from two defenseless widows would come the king of Israel, that would join Israel, that would be the King David. And who would have thought about Imelech, the man who ran away from Bethlehem, the man who took his wife and sons into Moab to lose his own life and the life of his sons? Who would have thought when people thought that his name Elimelech, my God is king, and laughed 
because of what was happening, would eventually prove that the God that he served was king, was reigning, and was ruling. Who would have thought that? So the rule of David, which we all know about, did not result in shrewd tactics, a powerful bloodline, mighty armies and battles, but a man that blew it and a widow who was forced to go home. Oh, I think there's hope. There's hope. Because I don't think anybody in this room has got to that position. And what we can see is that even for the man that blew it and the widower, that God has a great purpose and plan. A destiny for what we often perceive are weak men and women, for frail widows that span generations. We may feel like Elimelech or Naomi that our lives have just got lost in the shadows of life. But when one widow decided to go back home and be faithful with the small things and honour God for what really was just that day to labour in a field that God saw her and God was pleased and God would bless her. And I just want to encourage you, whether you feel that you're a Limelech, whether you feel that you're just a Naomi, labour in your field. Serve God this day. God sees. God sees. And if God sees, and you're faithful, God will bless you. And if he doesn't bless you, as much as you would like. The truth of this is he will bless your generations to come. Because the promise says it isn't just about you. It's about your, your children and your grandchildren and your grandchildren. And often you see that in the Bible, don't you? You see a blessing comes, but it doesn't just come to you. It just comes upon your generations. So I want to pray. I want to pray for you and me. And I want to just pray that we would just labour in our fields well. But I want to pray really as well, this might sound strange, for our generations to come. And just uh, do that. So please stand with me.
Father, in, in this room, uh, I guess that uh, we have a room full of Elimelechs and Naomi's, uh, me included. But I want to thank you that you are not finished with us yet. That, that you will not give up on us as we often will give up on you. And I want to ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would come and enable us to labour in our field, to be faithful for the day in which you have given us, and to know that in heaven there is a God who sees. And I want to thank you, Lord, that you took a widower and her man who in his time struggled to prove that God was king. And through generations to come, produced not only the king of Israel, David, but the king of kings, Jesus. I want to ask you, Lord Jesus, to be upon our families, to be upon our unborn children, and to be upon our children, and to be upon our children's children. And Lord, I want to ask you, uh, for the blessings of God, I, l- I would love, Lord, for the blessings of God to come to this generation. And I would love, Lord, the blessings of God to come to the next generation, and the next generation, and the next generation. And I want to ask you, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to build something here that retains the blessings of God for the generations. So we ask you, Lord, that you would knit old and young. We ask you, Lord, that you would restore, even amongst us this morning, the years that the locusts have eaten. And we ask you, Lord, that we would see uh, you move in destiny and plan and purpose amongst us. Lord, sometimes it's difficult to see, but we pray, Lord, for a future blessing upon us. In the name of Jesus, amen.